Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Max Porterfield. He is the CEO at Kalanex Mines. They've just raised some money. So we asked, what is he going to focus on? He talks us uh, through a uh, verify uh, plan of what 2021 is going to look for him. 30,000 meters um, ready to be drilled. Uh, if you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, what we discussed with Max and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There are summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time. There are training courses on there to help you with your intelligence process. We've also got commentary from market experts from all around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. And if you want to join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe, friendly environment, free from uh, abuse, trolling, and judgment, you should join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Max, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Good, good. Well, we spoke to you at the beginning of December, uh, not too long ago, but you've been you've been a busy boy. You've been raising money. Yeah, we have. I'm very pleased by the uh, that turnout on that. I I couldn't help notice the number eight million eight hundred eighty-eight thousand eight hundred eighty-eight bucks. What's going on there? Well, we added a couple extra eights there, but it actually kind of fell into that 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 way point eight eight as we're at. Um, I have a thing or two with numerology happened to be an eight, eight. Our discovery hole was actually hit on August 8th last year in, in Manitoba. Uh, and so when it fell that way, a buddy of mine that kind of was aware of that said, Hey, you know, I could pitch in a little bit of extra money here to, to round out the eights. So we did it. And uh, that's how it came to be. And you no doubt going to have money flooding in from China as a result. Fantastic. Uh, that's, 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 <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Like, we all wanted to catch up because it was the beginning of a story there. You had a lot of optionality on the table and you kind of were trying to work out where to where to kind of focus. And I think we, we talked to him about, you know, copper equivalents and silver equivalents, both commodities, highly topical at the moment. So where's your head at? Where, where, where are you going to be pointing that money? Well, again, on the 8.88 million that we raised, uh, a large portion of that, nearly 6 million that was allocated for flow through in Manitoba. And that's where we've got the rapidly emerging rainbow discovery uh, that's again high-grade copper but also has the precious metals the gold silver as well as zinc byproducts to that discovery and has big implications for the potential for the flint Fon community with the impending shutdown of the 777 mine occurring uh, next year so it's the time's right obviously exceptionally high-grade copper that we're, we're hitting there and we actually had some results from a surface pulse em survey they recently completed I can walk you, all, you know, through that, uh, but that I think really showed the true potential size of uh, what can be had at, at Rainbow if everything pans out for us the way we'd like to see them. Fantastic. Well, why don't you talk us through that? Um, maybe perhaps we'll come onto the silver in a second because um, we'd be interested to see how you're going to tackle it. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll just do an overview and we'll kind of walk through the discovery itself as well. Uh, but this is an overview of the, the Flint Flon area. Uh, you actually have the town of Flinflon that you can see I just highlighted there for you. And the Pine Bay project's ideally located 16 kilometers away as the crow flies, so to speak, from the town of Flinflon. And there's actually an existing road access, an all-weather road. So it's a 20-minute drive by existing road right out to the site within 100 meters or 200 meters from the, the discovery itself. So I, I, ideal access to that end. And the discovery has also been made within a mineral lease, so it's advanced permitting. Uh, that can be had because it was actually permitted for production in the 1960s. So you can see the mineral lease outlined in orange. And this big shift in terms of global consciousness that we might have touched on last time we spoke 
with really in focus on a move away from the hydrocarbons and, and obviously, you know, the battery revolution, so to speak, that's going on. You see it with Tesla and, and this big EV shift uh, is also, you know, what is your power source? In, in the Pine Bay's instance, you actually have a hydroelectric power line that right, runs right over the property that would have, in many ways, probably hindered exploration because everyone really focused on this area of the property that I circled for you. So we had uh, spent a number of years exploring the area and we took a different approach. Uh, previous to 2019, our, our focus was to do stratic graphic drilling and use borehole EM as a vectoring tool directly to massive sulfides. And what you're looking at right now is actually IP results, the chargeability ISO shells. And the idea of that was it was kind of shifting the model where you're looking for the disseminated pyrite halo that would be in proximity to your massive sulfide. So being a kind of an indirect vectoring method and then using borehole EM then to, to vector directly towards your massive sulfides. And that's exactly what we did here. You can see that we drilled into the highest chargeability and this is how we made the rainbow discovery. And then we uh, had an awful anomaly that we eventually drill tested it with our discovery hole PBM111. And that's when we hit the high grade mineralization uh, in two different zones there. And since that time, we've been busy stepping out from that initial discovery hole and that plate hit a number of uh, holes, about five, six holes into this uh, mineralization now. Again, extremely high grade copper with that, the precious metals and, and as well as zinc component to that which is indicative and really typical of flin-flon style mineralization, which is what made flin-flon so well-known and established. And, you know, this is looking kind of a, a long sectional view of that area, and it's really wide open to the south. And, and when I note that, uh, this is the, the Pine Bay deposit itself that was a near-surface deposit uh, that was discovered in the 1950s, 60s, uh, and that's why the permits were there and the historic shaft is there. Now, the ray, one of the reasons why we, we gave it the name the Rainbow Discovery is it actually sits within this growth fault corridor that you can see outlined. It's kind of in the shape of a rainbow. And there's a stack sequencing of deposits starting with the Donjon Mine, the North Star Mine, Baker Pad Deposit, Cabin Deposit, and the Pine Bay Mine. And then kind of the pot of copper within the rainbow is, is the first two zones of the Rainbow Discovery. Now, historically, the only electromagnetic data that we'd covered on the property was an airborne VTEM survey that was completed um, that predated me back in 2009. And what that really vectored towards is gonna to vector you towards the, what's closest to surface. And right at surface, there's a graphitic argillite earthy pyrite marker unit that I've just highlighted there at surface that really absorbed all that attention. And it overlooked the, uh, the two first two zones that you can kind of see are located right there of the rainbow discovery. So since that time, and what we, we did over the winter time, since we, you know, we had a bit of a break there, is we conducted a surface pulse electromagnetic survey uh, over the rainbow deposit itself, the first two zones, and we cut off the survey because all the previous uh, survey data had been right over this power line that you can see that you know kind of outlined that power line. Everything again had been done to the north uh, in terms of any surface pulse work that had been done. Nothing had really gone over from an electromagnetic standpoint to the south of that power line. And what you can see is over 1.2 kilometer of conductive bodies that sit along strike to the first two zones. And our geophysicist, Alan Valls, is modeled, and you can see the outlay there of these um, modeled plates. The first two zones have been modeled at 150 meter strike. Uh, that's again the orange and yellow zones that you can see right there. And then there's three stacked plates, followed by a fourth further to the south that have twice the strike length of that. And it's, very rare that you see a conductive body like this. Uh, we've got a string of 
a conductor sources that go over one kilometer strike. The only places you see it in the Flintflon district is going to be at the Flintflon triple seven mine horizon, at the Trout Lake mine horizon, and then at the Lawler Chisel Lake mine horizon. Then you also see it here at the, the, the first two zones of the rainbow being to the really northern extent of that conductive source that was identified from the surface pulse EM data set. Uh, so again, it's really wide open in terms of drilling. You can see all the drilling in the area historically. You've got these plates that are along strike to the south. They come within 200 meters of surface. Uh, and then again, this is where the, the, three, the three plates are, followed by that fourth plate to the south. And uh, again, in terms of historic drilling, it's really wide open. They've never been drill tested. There's been no uh, drills in the area. The closest drill hole that's ever been drilled was in the late 1960s, right there that was shut down, you know, 150 meters to 200 meters at least ahead of that conductive source there. Uh, so again, we're very excited about this and it all kinds of comes together as an inflection point of that main uh, mine horizon that hosts the Centennial Mine, the sourdough deposit, and then the rainbow deposit sits right within that in this growth fault corridor. Uh, so it, again, we're very excited about the discovery, how it's coming together. Uh, we're drilling two holes uh, right now with two rigs that are actively turning. Uh, PBM 116 uh, was colored to be a more vertical step out of, above the mineralization. Uh, and it'll be roughly 150 meter step out to the most shallow intersection to date there. And then PBM 117 is gonna be testing those three stacked plates to the south with the uh, initial hole uh, and see what comes of that. And this is just a long section view of the drilling that we have right now. Again, the green plates are the plates that have been modeled from the surface pulse EM data set. Uh, and then the fuchsia plates, the pink plates, uh, are again, the borehole EM plates that we have to date. And we'll get more borehole surveys as we drill to the south there. Uh, but again, 116 is looking to intersect uh, these plates right here. And then 117 will come in uh, roughly 500 meters vertical depth there to test those three plates and then be borehole pulsed as an additional vectoring tool to see where to go next after that. Uh, so for context as well, before I wrap things up, uh, the 777 mine starts at 800 meters vertical depth, which is where our PBM 111 hole, discovery hole was made. Uh, we've now traced mineralization 225 meters vertically above that. And then the Lala discovery that was discovered in, in uh, went into production in 2004, uh, sorry, discovered in 2004, um, that comes within 550 meters of surface. So uh, again, we're looking to chase this much closer to surface discovery, potential to add significant tons. We've got you know, a budgeted program of 30,000 meters. And again, that's gonna be results driven uh, that we're looking to complete and is occurring immediately right now. So we're very, very excited to that. And that's gonna be where the bulk, again, of the, uh, the capitals we, you know, put into the ground in Manitoba to expand that exceptionally high grade uh, copper discovery. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ex exceptional um, byproduct numbers there as well. I mean, they're pretty, pretty impressive stuff. So 30,000 meters, but along that process, you're constantly refining the strategy uh, as you move forward, right? What happens at the end of this when you've got 30,000 meters? Where, where do you move from there? Well, the objective would be to, uh, to outline a, a 20 to 30 million ton resource uh, through that drilling. Uh, obviously, again, you need the success there through the drill bit, uh, but we're, we're building out a big discovery that'll be an anchor mine uh, is the end all objective for that community uh, for the foreseeable future. Just like you've seen at 777, Trout Lake, Lawler, you haven't had a big anchor mine discovered in the Flint Flon camp, you know, really in the immediate Flint Flon area since 1994 when 777 was found. 
and before that it was 1982 with the Trout Lake discovery. So these things don't come very often. They come every few decades, it seems, as a pattern. And we're just quite, uh, quite thankful that we are where we are and we're headed uh, definitely in a bright future is our opinion based upon what we see today. What's the things that are going to hold you back from actually advancing at the pace that you want to? You know, at this point, I think the one thing that you could said, you know, looking at us in December when we spoke is, Max, you've got a bright future and the results seem to be there. How are you going to do that? And really the one thing that would have been holding us back would have been capital. Uh, but that's no longer an issue. And, and again, we've got two rigs out on site right now drilling. And it's just being patient, just the way we've been to get us here, sticking with it and see what unfolds. And, and of course, we, we see things very, very brightly, uh, the potential there at the Rainbow Discovery. And, and we're quite pleased where we're at and, and where we're headed. But so how does it ramp up? Do you, I mean, t- two rigs, great. Four rigs, better. I mean, are you capable yeah, so of... I mean, we can, uh, we want to add too many rigs too soon. So again, um, once we get on get on to the discovery, we can mobilize additional rigs. We've got a third rig that's you know sitting and available when we need to. But at the same time, we want to be prudent with the capital uh, because being prudent with the capital ultimately, I think, will get you a, a lot further uh, when you spend it wisely. Right. So, when does this all kick off? When, what's what's the timeline for twenty twenty one? Well, we're already drilling. So the, the, the drilling has been going on now for a couple of weeks. You know, these are deeper holes, so it is a bit slower and particularly the, you know, in terms of the winter environment. So that being said, we're looking to have initial results or an update out in April uh, of this year. And then uh, we'll see where things go after that. In the meantime, we're also in, in the early stages of drilling a, a follow or setting up a, a follow up drilling campaign at our Nash Creek project in, in uh, New Brunswick. And I can show you the results of the silver how that's come together for us, if you'd like. Yeah, let, let, let's talk about that, and then we can maybe get on to um, how 2021 proceeds. So in terms of Nash Creek, this is the Nash Creek project area that we're just getting a big aerial view on. And uh, Nash Creek is ideally located, it's PEA stage asset. It's actually the Nash Creek deposits, a, a zinc lead deposit historically is what it's known for the, the project area. And it sits 25 kilometers away from a deep water port, rail line, uh, smelting operations, uh, in the town of Beldoon there. As you can see, this is the Nash Creek deposit itself. It's a, uh, when we acquired it, it was a 9 million ton resource. It's flat lying near surface. So it's unique in that, you know, 85% of the world's zinc production is going to be underground. Uh, and so it's very rare that you have an open pitable zinc deposit, which is what Nash Creek is. And again, we published a maiden PEA on that in 2018 at today's zinc prices. You're looking at a, a pre-tax IR, NPV of $230 million a pre-tax IRR of 34%. And so that was really a great starting point. And the way we were able to do that is we used IP, just like IP was successful for us to date in, in the vectoring process to the Rainbow Discovery in Manitoba. There was actually a historic IP survey at Nash Creek when we, we took over the property. And that's what we utilized to really double the resource from 9 million tons to 19.1 million tons in our first few phases of exploration out on the property. Since that time, we did a district scale IP survey and drill testing, and that's when we, we discovered the near surface silver mineralization. Uh, there's this main controlling fault that uh, the Nash Creek deposit actually sits on a splay faults that offset that. And we tested that as part of you know, testing the IP survey that's really mapped that nicely. And that's when we intersected 28 meters of 57 gram per ton silver. That included a higher grade interval of 94 and a half gram per ton silver over 16 and a half meters. 0.2 zinc, 0.1 lead. So again, silver dominant near surface mineralization. That's going to be a, above the cutoff grade outlined by the PEA in 2018. 
which is also going to be taking into account much lower silver prices. Now, 6.8 kilometers to the south of that uh, is a vertical hole, NC19306, intersected 19 meters of 36, point, uh, 36 gram per ton silver, 0.4 zinc, half percent lead, included higher grade interval of three meters of 130 gram per ton silver. Uh, and you can see this association with that main controlling fault. Now what we did to follow up on that is we did a soil sampling campaign that covers 10 kilometers of that main controlling fault that encompasses both those silver discoveries. And that's what we're gonna use as a vectoring tool in our follow-up drilling campaign. We've identified seven different target areas uh, along a significant portion of this, this, this main controlling fault, the strike extent of this. And we'll be testing that uh, again in the couple, next couple of months when we announce and outline that program. But as you can see the correlation that, that elevated silver to that higher grade hole that we hit in, in uh, discovery hole 313. And then moving to the south, you can see that the vertical 306 was followed, collared far too uh, off uh, to the west there. And that you have elevated silver due off to the east that's coincident with that fault and that resistivity low. Uh, so again, uh, we also have hit near surface zinc lead off to the, uh, the east in the central zone area of Nash Creek. Uh, and we're very excited on that can you know, extend the life of mine past 10 years. So, but the story there is going to be silver and, and just to kind of round things up, it's ideally located in proximity to infrastructure. Provincial Highway just sits right down the road from uh, this infrastructure and goes within a, a few blocks from the, uh, the Nash Creek deposit. Uh, but you have, again, the, the power station, a deep water port that gives you access to smelting operations in Europe and Africa as well as the, uh, the rail line that goes directly to zinc smelting operations in Quebec. Uh, so again, we were like where we're at in New Brunswick, you know, obviously advancing the near surface silver discoveries that have really a potential to be significant in size, tonnage and near surface uh, that kind of offsets the deeper, higher grade uh, story at, at Pine Bay. It's, it's interesting to me. It, I think a lot of this, what you've just told us about is we have to sit back and wait and see what the drill results say, see how you how you advance. What sort of struck me was um, when we last spoke, you're quite ambitious about the, the, the program because I think you feel some sort of um, connection with the Flynn community. I think we, we talked about that last time. Yeah. That was quite interesting to me. But the market too has reacted to this. You're at so 285 uh, when we... Uh, Share price, uh, you're, we're at three seventy ish today. So you know, up about a third or so. That's quite nice. But the fundraise coming back to that, I know we're sort of joking about the number, but the it, did it take long to do? What sort of new investors did you see coming in? I, you know, I, I've been very, very fortunate, and I think the company's very, been very fortunate. Anytime we've gone to to access the capital markets, I think we've always come with a mindset that it's warranted, and, and we're going to do great things with the capital. Um, but again, to have the support of the in investor community, both current and shareholders, we're quite pleased to see that in having a mix of, uh, you know, across current in investors that have been participating in previous financings, uh, some high net worth family offices in Europe took part in, in the most recent financing, some funds out of Europe took part, as well as, um, you know, Delbrook uh, out of Vancouver, which is, a, you know, a large you know, fund that specializes in natural resource investing, uh, is now one of our largest shielders as well. So. Uh, it was a great deal of support across the board from well-established, really well-educated and knowledgeable folks in the industry uh, that understand what our longer-term objectives are. And I think from a capital standpoint, uh, structure, being at 13 million shares, being extremely tight and having you know the strong shareholders that were already in and already part of Calinex are being joined by other shareholders that 
you know, new shareholders that see that potential are looking to make significant multiples on their money based upon discovery uh, is really what we're looking to achieve when we did the capital raise. And we actually did that uh, north of $4 a share. So the hard dollars on that was $4 a share with a half born at $6. And then we're able to utilize inherent leverage through the flow through mechanisms in both Manitoba as well as the Maritimes to, to leverage that. So in terms of managing the dilution, we were able to raise that $8.8 million in capital with 16% dilution, which I think, you know, is, is, you know, if you looked at where we were in December, I think that was a, a huge win. And that puts us in a position right now to be fully funded to conduct all that drilling, both the 30,000 meters we have budgeted in Manitoba, as well as a, a robust campaign to follow up on that 10 kilometer trend at Nash Creek, as well as what we need to do in, in Point Leamington in Newfoundland to get that resource updated and published to the market uh, that we've you know, never spent a lot of time talking about, uh, really will we'll put us in this kind of be a transformational capital in many ways to really show the potential of the portfolio hosts uh, and unlock that through drilling. Well, see that I wanted to get onto that. I wanted to talk about the capital structure because it is super, super tight. Um, also the PEA, what's the timing on that? In terms of an update to a PEA, be be further on to the future. Quite honestly, I think that um, in, in terms of Manitoba, I think the market's going to understand what we're on to uh, if we're successful with the drilling that we're looking to achieve there, I, because they can do modeling internally themselves in terms of what they think the potential deposit size is when we, we put out each one of these intersections. There's very sophisticated investors in our space that uh, will be following that. And then to that end, in terms of the PEA in, in New Brunswick at Nash Creek, uh, you know, I. When we announced that initial PEA in 2018, we did that at $1.25 zinc when zinc prices were at $1.60 a pound. And then very quickly things kind of fell out of bed with the trade wars that took place. Zinc within three months went somewhere around, you know, below a dollar a pound, 90 cents, very, very quickly thereafter. Uh, and, you know, from the, the shorter term investor outlook would have been kind of negative at the, at the time. And from that standpoint, while a lot of people to, to model, what all, all it really allows people to model is what's there today. Uh, and not what's going to be there in the future. And so while it was a snapshot in time, it really gave us the tools and outlook in terms of here we are today, we like where we are today. And while the market might be at 90 cents today, we don't see 90 cents in the future. And what do we need to do to further improve the asset that it is on a very cost-effective basis? And that's what we've done with the silver discoveries and then now showing the potential size there. So I don't want to put a box on us, so to speak, too early uh, in Nash Creek. I think there's a base case PA there that you can see from Nash Creek deposit what it is. You can see upside, obviously, from the central zone drilling that we've had to date there. But most importantly, it's to, to drill out the silver discovery because that'll be a complete rewrite on the PEA, which is to be further out in the distance in the future. And, and not to say that we can't get there very quickly, because we can. We've shown that ability to do that in the past, rapid resource growth, and then publishing a PEA. But at the same time, I don't want to move to that point too soon. Okay, when I think that, that explains the kind of trade-off that's going on in your mind um, about where, where you can capture value. So this is this is commodity theme, everyone's interested in copper equivalent, silver equivalent, that, that's what's hot at the moment. So that's where you focus. Um, just again, again, looking looking forward here. So you, once you spent your money on this, you're going to stay in charge of this thing. You, you are going to manage this um, project. You're not going to look for partners coming in. You're not going to look for strategic partners or, or similar. Well, I mean, I don't want to close the door on opportunities. I mean, I don't think it's a wise business decision to ever do something like that. But I think in terms of where capital is right now and where we can get with that capital, we're in the driver's seat to that end. Uh, but at some point, we will look to, to uh, bring in a partner, a suitor, uh, to, to make an all-out acquisition of an asset or the, the, the PUPCO as a whole. 
um, I'm definitely not shutting the door on that as well. Okay, fine. Well, look, I guess I'm sitting back waiting for Joe results, I guess, as you are. <laughs> the story of my life, really. I, I think uh, I don't have any children, but I, I know that when you have children, you, you need a lot of patience. Uh, and I've learned that you need a lot of patience uh, with drilling. I'm a much more patient man than I was certainly six years ago before we started this whole endeavor. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm, we're all on the edge of our seats, you know, waiting every day. Uh, and, and that's the exciting part of the business that we're in. Let's say that you're in control of the bits that you're in control of. Let's see what comes out of the ground. Stay in touch. Let's know how you, how you get on. It's, you pieced it together quite nicely, so I'm, I'm intrigued. Thank you very much, and thanks again for taking the time. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.